Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. So we're in a series called Crystal, uh, looking for clarity in the book of Colossians on a number of topics uh, with the goal of our faith being less fuzzy. Uh, becoming clearer to us, stronger for us. And our study has led us to uh, the church, uh, how we see her, how should we see her, what role does she play in our lives, how involved should I be, what is the New Testament expectation of my life as it relates to the body. Now, we've already said a number of things, but we've said it's critical to your spiritual life to your growth and nourishment, that there is a level of growth and nourishment that cannot come any other way but through your local church involvement and community. Um, We also learned last week that it's our identity, that our identity is corporate, and we're learning not to think of our relationship with God strictly or primarily in individual terms. You have to see yourself as part of a corporate entity. Uh, And we looked at what the new man is. The new man. It's it's less about a new self, although that is part of it, and more about a new society. So the cross didn't just save you as an individual. It created a new humanity, which is the church. Uh, Marcus Bart put it this way, salvation in Christ is not an individual miracle happening to this person or that person, which each person may seek or possess for himself. Rather, salvation by grace is a joining together of this and that person, of the near and the far, of the good and the bad, of the high and the low, of the liberal and the fundamentalist. And then he says, It's a social event. Salvation is a social event. No one is joined to Christ except together with a neighbor. That is the New Testament teaching. Salvation is far more than what God has just done for me personally. It is what he's done for us as a group and formed a new identity among us. And my identity comes from the group, not just me individually. So this is not a theory, it's to be worked out practically. And so I want to sort of give you a picture that will help summarize all that we have said. And, uh, or at least uh, what we've said, what we said last week. Uh, Remember, we're dealing with this Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, this hymn. And in it, uh, he speaks about Christ being as the head of the body, the church. And so we said, well, what is the church doing? Like, what is God doing through the church if he's the leader of it and and he rules through it? What's he doing? Well, it says here, he is reconciling all things to himself, trying to make peace because there's, there's sort of a spiritual war going on. Human beings and God have been separated. They're hostile. Humans are hostile toward God. And he's trying to make peace, and he does it through the blood of his cross. 
It's through the cross. Christ pays an infinitely high price to create community. That peace is relational peace. So the church is is the headquarters of God reconciling human and divine relationship. That's what it is. It's about reconciling enemies. So just think about that for a second. And then when you get to, again, this is not just a theory. You go, great theory, great plan, great business plan, God. It's more than that. Um, Look what 3.15 says. We looked at this last week. Let the peace of Christ. What peace? Well, he just told us what it was. Relational harmony. God's trying to bring into harmony everything that was in disarray and devastated relationally. Let that peace rule in your heart. It's got a rule in your heart. Now, we're going to see what that means at the end. But it's in your heart and you say, yes, Jesus has reconciled me to God and I'm really at peace in my heart. That's not enough. Look what he says. To which indeed, to which you were called. What am I called to? A body. A corporate entity. I'm not just an individual heart walking around with all the peace of God. Whatever's in here in my heart has to be fleshed out in a local community, in a local body. Again, it's not theory. We're not theorizing about reconciled relationships. Oh, how nice would it be? No. It's got to flesh itself out in the way I relate to other people in the body because the body is the primary place we demonstrate what Christ has done for us. So you can see how these sort of uh, relate to one another. What God is doing through the church, we're the church. How is he reconciling through the church if he isn't doing it through the actual body of the people who make up the church? He's the head of the church, but we're the body fleshing out what he desires, the reconciling, the relational harmony. Uh, so the new, the new man is a place, it's an assembly. Where there is diversity, you say, what is, what is the new man made of? Well, Paul told us that. Remember what he t- said uh, right here? It's a place where there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. So you've got, there's no racial distinction in this new community, in this body. There's no religious distinctions. In other words, that's, that's what circumcised runs. There's no barbarians and Scythian. These are the cultural differences. All of the cultural differences go away. All of the racial differences go away. Slave and free, the, the economic, geographical, they all go away. Anything that distinguishes human beings, you say, what does it look like when God reconciles human beings, he takes people from everywhere and anything and brings them together. That's what it is. And I'm going to tell you right now, in the first century, in the first century, 
hillside, you would have never seen any of these people together until the church. Until the church. An absolute incredible accomplishment of the gospel in the first century because the hatred between these two groups formed really high walls. And in the church, we saw last week in Ephesians, Christ in the cross, how does he reconcile? He crushes all those distinctions. This obliterates them. And so, we learn that Christ has so taken over our identity that we can no longer distinguish ourselves from each other based on any of those things because now our new identity is in him. He has so taken over our identity that my race isn't the primary thing I'm proud of. The, uh, my, re- my former religion or my religious activities are not the thing that I'm proud of. Uh, my, my, my education level, cultural distinctions no longer distinguish me. Slave or free. Economic, geographical, they all go away in Christ. And we become the place where there can be an assembly of people that different because we all see each other in Christ. That's our new identity. So the church is is your identity. So you got to get lumped into that group. See, and then this place, what happens is our prejudices are constantly challenged and dismantled when we come together because we're seeking unity in Christ. Uh, so I can never feel superior to anyone based on any of these things. Last week I was telling you about the uh, Zuckerberg and Facebook and his desire to sort of, uh, I don't know, maybe for lack of a better word, replace the church as it relates to community. Um, and so what they do, and I've lear- I learned this last week from a guy in our church, he went back and read the article that I was quoting from, and he happens to be a data scientist uh, for Lockheed, and he wrote an email to me that I found really interesting, because um, Facebook, what Facebook does to try to create community is it, it, it thinks of all the things that you do on Facebook or social media, and it categorizes those things. And then it matches them with other people who have the same likes that you do, do the same things that you do. So here's what he wrote to me. In other words, we said that he couldn't, there's no way he could replace the church because the church is based on diversity, whereas what Facebook is trying to produce is based on similarities. All right? So here's what this fellow wrote. He said, I looked at the Facebook article you mentioned, and I think the key premise is that Facebook, quote, can help you connect over the things that you share. Mathematically, now now you're going to have to listen to a data scientist talk. And this was fun for me. He says, mathematically, 
We calculate the things that you share and also the degree to which you share them by first defining features for objects. In Facebook's case, characteristics for people. Facebook obviously gathers people's characteristics by collecting information from their profile posts, interests, likes, click history, etc. All of these characteristics can be rep- represented mathematically, sometimes as easy as a 1 if a person is male and a 0 if not to much more complicated scoring systems. But ultimately, each characteristic is defined as a number, and then all of the person's features can be stored as a mathematical vector. Since it is easy to calculate the distance between vectors, we can now calculate the distance between people, and we often store the result set as a similarity matrix. The mathematical concept is that people should be connected because they are close in distance, and they are only close in distance if they share the same characteristics. In Colossians and Galatians, what you're teaching, Paul simplifies the matrix. So Facebook and these other data scientists are uh, taking all of our interests. Here's how Paul simplifies the matrix, what he's teaching us here. There's only one dimension. It's Christ. Christ is the only connection. It doesn't matter what all the... Age doesn't matter. Size doesn't matter. Interest doesn't matter. And so then he goes on to say, that feature is the only one needed to make the connection, and the result is a cluster of people who make up the church, many of which will be really far apart in terms of those other characteristics. We actually may be very different from each other. For instance, slave, free, or Jew, Gentile. And, when, and while the mathematics of Facebook may not see these differences as important, they are what make up the church. It's, it's our diversity that makes up the church and how we relate to one another in that diversity. So that's a very powerful point. So that's your identity as the body. Now, a couple things. Uh, that I want to say that I couldn't get to last week because there's more to this. So what's going on in this dynamic? What, what happens when you put a barbarian and a Scythian together? A Dallas Cowboy fan and a Philadelphia Eagle fan together. What happens? Uh, what happens when you do that? Well, um, let's see what Paul says. So here's what he says to that group of of dissimilar people, because they're going to be getting together. As those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on, this is his key word in this text, because remember we said put on the new man. It's a, it's a clothing image. It's the, it's the imagery of putting on uh, clothing, all right? Uh, put on, you should be wearing when you get together, here's your uniform. Put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. This is what you're going to need. This is the new you. This is the new community. Its, it's characteristics are these. Summed up, you're bearing with one another and you're forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord, here's here's the key, just as the Lord forgave you. So now we're getting a real window into 
hearts. And again, we said theory. You say, yes, Christ has made me far more gentle. He's made me far more humble. He's made me far more patient. He's made me all those things. Well, they have to have a place to work out in the community. They've got to be in the community, and they've got to come alive in community, where we're basically, according to this phrase, putting up with each other. Because that's, that's what happens when you get a dissimilar group together. And so we learn how to live with one another, how to put up with each other, and then how to forgive each other whenever issues arise. That's what he's arguing. So we said last week that there's a distinct kind of Christian community. It's unity within diversity. What does it take to create unity in diversity? And how well are these active in your life? Because that would, that'll tell you a lot about your identity and your spirituality. And now we're looking at community because that's what these elements are. Community, we're talking about relating. So this is a distinct kind of Christian community. has to do with how we treat each other now that we're a diverse group together. So culture tends to operate one of two ways. We either, it's fight or flight. You, you either, you know, destroy each other, you're fighting all the time, you put people in their place, or you run. You put people in your place, or you run. This text is saying, no, we put up with each other. We put up with each other, and we forgive each other, because we're definitely going to be stepping on toes. So here comes this relational dynamic that grows out of what Christ has done for me. Listen, it grows out of what Christ has done for you. What Christ has done for you, if you're raving about the forgiveness you've been given, if you're raving about the forgiveness he's given you in your heart, well, then you better have a body of people that you're forgiving in the community. Now, that is a number of implications here as it relates to that. And it's got to be fleshed out so the world can see it. Let's see that forgiveness come to life. Do you know how much the world hates our screaming and hollering and raving about how much we love Jesus because he's forgiven us for our sin? We can't forgive each other. Do you know how much the world hates that? They despise that in us. So the text is assuming that when you get a bunch of diverse people together, there's going to be conflict. There will be griping, Paul says. There will be complaining. There will be disagreement. There will be hurts and offenses. We will do that to each other. Um, Christ isn't unrealistic about the conflict. Often people stay away from the church because they say, I don't want to be in that mess. Well, there's a little misunderstanding about the church. If that's your position. Because Christ never said there wouldn't be problems in the church. 
He never said there wouldn't be people complaining and there wouldn't be people bickering and there wouldn't be people hurt by each other. He never said that would happen. What he said would be distinctive about us is how we would treat each other even when we hurt each other. That's what he said would be distinctive. He didn't say we wouldn't step on each other's toes. He just said the way we will treat each other after we have hurt each other will be completely different. And it actually becomes the real test of Christ-likeness. Where else am I going to actually show what Christ did for me except when I've got an issue with somebody in the community? So what Paul is saying essentially is, here's the real issue. And this is what I'll say to you this week and then when we finish this series up with our final piece of the church, which is the one that I'm Um, most praying about and and weighed down over, which you'll hear next week, it's the most, without question, uh, will overwhelm you the most. But here's what Paul is saying about this one. You should be involved. You say, how deep should I be involved in the church? You should be involved deep enough in your local church to regularly have to forgive people in it. If you if you stay just far enough away to say, you know, I, I'm part of that church, but I stay just far enough away that I don't have to get in any of the messes, you're too far out because you don't get to bypass forgiveness and putting up. If you don't have anyone to put up with in this church, you're too far out. That is the principle. I need to be putting up with somebody instead of saying, I don't put up with that. And you stay away. In fact, Paul is saying, it's in the mess. It's in the mess that you get to act like me. It's in the mess that you get to show the world what I did for you. It's in the mess. You're in a position to show who I am. So right now, so just think about this right now. If you're sideways about something in this church, if you're sideways about something or with someone, here's your chance. You can do one of two things, one of three things. You can run, and that's typically what people do been pastoring this church for 22 years. The, if I could give you a list of the reasons people have left this church, it would be offensive to God because of a slight offense or a slight hurt or a slight misunderstanding. That's the vast majority of reasons. That's a, that's a horrible testimony because now you take that to some other church and you can't wait to tell them how bad that church is because there's a snotty lady over there or a controlling guy. It's a, it's a horrible testimony. So most people run. Other people just put you right in your place. They don't tolerate you. They'll just put you right in your place. 
I read, uh, I read a, a book on Saturday uh, by Timothy Lane. And I downloaded it to Kindle. Had a, I was in Houston doing a wedding this week, so Saturday, nothing to do for a while. Waiting. And, um, and it's called Relationships. A Mess Worth Making. And he says some pretty cool things inside of it. Um, and he says, Conflict with others is one of God's mysterious, counterintuitive ways of rescuing us from ourselves. So, when, when I have an issue with someone else, it's very easy to get self-focused and centered. Because when we're hurting human beings, I'm going to say, there's almost nothing as dangerous as a hurt human being. We are deadly if we have been offended. And that is completely contrary to what God... Listen to this. Whatever Jesus has done inside your heart right here, whatever he has done, it actualizes itself, if it's real, into a person who's not dangerous anymore when they get hurt. Do you hear that? Oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Wonder what are you going to do? If Christ has changed his heart, he's not dangerous anymore when he's hurt. See, we talk about the redemptive capacity of a person. When Christ changes, you get a redemptive capacity to take more than you used to take, put up with more than you used to put up with. to be compassionate, to be understanding in ways you never were before. This is how it translates right here. And, and, and Christ is assuming it. Christ is not saying, look at the church because it's perfect. He's saying, look at them because the people inside it, even though sin is still operative and sin is dangerous, watch Grace win. Watch grace win. So right now, if you've got a beef with somebody in this church right now, you're in the best position to demonstrate what Christ has done for you and what he hopes for the body. Think about that for a minute. Instead of being offended that you're offended, like just shocked that anyone would hurt you, You're in the best position if something's bugging you to deal with it appropriately. We don't do that enough. And so the church has a horrible reputation and we just end up trading sheep around. And the testimony of the church ought to be, man, there's a lot of different people in there. They got all kinds of things going on in there. But man, you should see the grace flowing to one another. We have, now in Christ, redemptive options. Compassion, humility, patience, they're all options to us now because of Christ. 
Uh, there's a little, uh, if, you, if you read in Philippians, there's a great little story in here. There's a great little deal. And we don't know much about it, but that makes it kind of interesting. There's two ladies not getting along in the church of Philippi. And it's become enough to where people know it. And he says, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. There's our relational harmony. And then he says to his true companion, the guy he's, somebody he's writing to, I'm asking you to help these women who have shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. These ladies are, are evidently pretty sharp ladies who are helping Paul in the gospel, that whole fight and struggle. Hey, get with Clement, Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book. This is a, this is a great text. There's more to it than we can really go to. But we don't know what the problem is with the two ladies. And Paul does not bring that part up, but he brings up the two ladies' names. Imagine your names coming up next Sunday in announcements. Uh, could you tell Pete and Bill to get along? You'd be like, because this was read out loud in the community. Remember I told you that. These were read out loud in the community. What do you think Yodi and Syntyche are doing? You say, what's the issue? We don't know what the issue is. It could possibly be, and most likely, who has the goofiest name? And they're arguing about it. Yodia or Syntyche? Who knows? But he's saying, look at what he's saying. I'm urging each of them. He urges each of them. That verb's in there twice. Look at this. In the Lord. In other words, they can, they can be different. They can see things different, but in Christ, they've got to have harmony. We can see things different. That's okay. But there has to be, and and Paul's encouraging that here. And what I saw when I saw that is the same thing I have been seeing throughout uh, our Colossians text. This is very common and normal. And then this is how he closes, and then, and I'm just going to wrap this up here, but I just want you to see what he says. Finish. Beyond all these things and beyond that, you're like, wow, beyond that? Putting up with each other, forgiving one another, hearts full of compassion and patience and mercy, and, and put on love. That's the last thing you ought to put on. It's the overcoat. It's the last thing you put on, the shawl, the pretty thing. Because that is the perfect bond of unity. Unity uh, in the diversity. We need unity and we need love to do it. Love is sort of the, the big blanket of. Now, I just want to say this to you. Two things that I think are important here before we look right at the last verse. So I only need a couple seconds here. Listen. Uh, I read to you out of a book I read not long ago, and this is what he says about sin. You say, why do I need to be involved in a community? Why do I need that dynamic in my life? Don't you think there's something to, Pete, being sort of above all of that, and I can step away from community and just be in far enough to where I don't have to deal with that mess? So this is what he writes, and I think it is undergirding and underlining this. He says, sin is always a refusal of mutuality. 
and closing down into separateness. Whenever we refuse mutuality toward anything, we don't allow our deep interconnectedness to guide how we live, our character. Whenever we're not attuned to both receiving and giving from each other, because you need forgiveness as much as you need to give it. That dynamic has to constantly be working. (laughs) I know you didn't think of this, but you have to be put up with. I know this didn't. Putting up with people really came to your mind. You have to be put up with. Who's going to do that? And in a way that makes you want to be different. Who's going to do that? And then he says this. I haven't been able to get this. Listen, I have kept, you see this page right here? I made a copy out of the book, and I have kept this on my desk, and I have read it for months. It's been visible to me for months. Listen to this line. True evil and true sin must be very well disguised to survive. Hear this. Fantastic. And this is why God won't let you out of the community. And this will be a great lead-in to what we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks as we close this series. The last reason why you need to be connected to a church. But here's what he says. True evil and true sin must be very well disguised to survive. Separation will normally not look like sin. But will often resemble propriety and even appropriate boundary keeping. Oh, I'm above that. I'm more mature than that. I, I don't have to be in that mess. And sin will get in your life, and there will not be a healthy dynamic of love to deal with that and this unity. And it's going to take that for us to be transformed. The only way to be transformed is to be close enough in a community where Christ is the center of it, and we're constantly being challenged to be more like him. That happens in a community of diversity where Christ is the center. So I'm reading this article a couple of weeks ago, and I I would highly recommend it to you. It's called, uh, you can go find it. If you Googled it, you'll find it. It's called Boys Will Be Boaz. If you have sons, it's a worthy read. It's called Boys Will Be Boaz, B-O-A-Z, the Boaz character of the Old Testament, Book of Ruth. Um, excellent article. She's dealing with the subject of how do you raise boys in a world, in a culture, where people, where there's so much uh, sexual exploitation. Excellent. And she interacts with some writers, and she interacts with people who view culture and all these issues uh, very differently. And she makes her case, and it's a good one. And she says, uh, And she's talking about one lady's article who's so petrified. She has boys. She's trying to raise them. And she's scared of everything that's going on. And society is unsafe. And this is what this lady says. And even though she's talking about raising boys, it fits right here in this moment here. Because she says this. We are all, we are, all of us, far worse than merely unsafe. Which I thought was a great line. Okay? Now this is what she is trying to say. Uh, This gal she's talking about sees humanity, especially as influenced by culture, as unsafe. 
But the Christian worldview disagrees. The problem with Allard's diagnosis is not that it's too dark, but that it's not dark enough. We are, all of us, far worse than merely unsafe. We are capable of sheer evil. But just as Christians believe the human problem is far greater, we believe just as strongly that an answer for our problem exists, one with power not just to make safe, but to make us truly good. Listen, this was the point. If your goal is to be safe, and it's higher than being good, if your goal to be safe is higher than your goal of being good, it won't accomplish what Christ is trying to accomplish in you or in the community. So you don't get to take what you think is the high road and stay outside and go, safety is the primary goal of my life. Now you have a worst A worse possibility is that you might not be good. Think about that. Profound statement. I hope you let that mull over in your mind. So let's get back to here. Let the peace of Christ, that's the umpire. That's what the rule means, umpire. It's constantly got to be the umpire in your life. In other words, it's the you're in a game. You're in some sort of a game, and because uh, that's what it would have been used in for athletics back in that day. Same way, you know, take baseball. We got baseball going on right now. You got an umpire calling it uh, peace. The relational harmony of Christ needs to be the umpire in your life, in your hearts. Now, if you're not in community, if you're not in that community of diversity. You're not helping achieve the unity in it. You've basically taken yourself completely out of the game. You're not even in the game for peace to rule. You don't just get to have relational harmony with Christ. It has to dominate your life. Where does he want it to dominate your life? In the community. In the church body. So if it's been a long time since you've been offended by someone in this church, you're too far out. And if you have been offended, you're right in the middle of the mess. God bless you. You've got a shot of doing exactly what Christ wants you to do and changing and transforming right before your eyes. So one of those two things. You're either safe and unoffended and you've forgotten how evil you can be. Get in community and you'll see how evil you can be. Amen to that? Get in communion, you'll see how evil you can be. So there's something far more important than you being safe. And that is the possibility of you being evil. And if you're not in the body, then you are having what could be called an out-of-body experience. And if you're having an out-of-body experience... Don't chalk that up as exactly what Christ would want you to have because that is not it. It's in-the-body experiences. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we come before you because we are so blessed to have been reconciled to you and thus to each other. 
And because we have been forgiven, we have been outfitted, transformed with new and redemptive options that we must be bringing to the unity of the church if the church is going to thrive the way you want it to. Most of the times, Lord, we look at the church, we bash it, and we're really bashing ourselves because we're not being loving and forgiving and accepting and holding our tongue. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, you might be sitting in this room today and you go, I've been looking for a place like that. I could sure use a place like that where love and forgiveness dominate. Well, that's, that's, that's where we tell you about what Christ has done. Because what Christ done, remember what we said? By the blood of the cross, he has made peace. If you're not at peace with God, if you're not in relational harmony with God, you can have it through what Jesus Christ did. You'll never earn it yourself. You'll never do anything to make that peace happen. But Christ has accomplished that already. All you have to do is put your trust in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Because those things opened up a relationship with God and they empower a community to live in forgiveness. And you may need it today. Lord, thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.